Very soon, I'm going to be welcoming co-authors Lydia Hart and Stephen King back to the podcast to talk about their recently published book, Help, I've Got a Voice Problem. But I thought I'd get their ears burning by giving my rundown of their book first. They say never judge a book by its cover, but when Help, I've Got a Voice Problem first arrived in the post, three things crossed my mind. One, yay, it's here. Two, the artwork is immediately inviting and without that sterilized feel that can often accompany a scientific read. And three, it's surprisingly thin. With less than 50 pages, it took me under an hour to read, but from the very beginning, I felt in the company of a friend, especially when you're harboring the second stinker of a virus and you're worried about those little guys in your throat. There is little text per page with statistics provided in a way that isn't daunting, which is a relief for number phobes like me. Discussion points are kept short, succinct and clear without any overwhelming medical jargon fitted around the continued bold artwork from Stuart Harris, which completely fills every page. The artwork reminds me of an old comic and has a similar feel to that of Justin Stoney's book, Sing Like Never Before, with illustrations by Mark Pate. Topics covered include understanding that the voice is biopsychosocial and what that means, a brief discussion of anatomy, vocal impacts of the emotions, why it's important to be seen for a scope by a voice specialist, visiting the GP, ENT and the journey beyond, how the singer can be part of their own recovery, and some resource suggestions dotted around in there too. It doesn't, however, go into detail about specific pathologies. Even though some are referenced, it doesn't elaborate on red flags or symptoms. Even though selfishly I would have liked for it to have been a bit longer, it was never the intention of this book to be a rigid encyclopedia of vocal health and pathology. From the very first line, it's clear that instead, it's an outstretched hand to the singer experiencing a vocal problem, providing them with foundational knowledge regarding the many factors involved in dysfunction and an insight to the road of recovery, and ultimately at the heart, reducing this sting of self-blame. In my view, this is an important read. It belongs on every singer and voice user's bookshelf and should be on display in the voice teacher's studio so that everyone has the opportunity to understand how voice problems can occur. Hopefully this way, the stigma of vocal health can continue to be reframed. With Christmas just days away and reasonably priced, it makes for the perfect stocking filler. <laughs> and Stephen King. Welcome back to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast and congratulations on the publication of your book. It's very exciting. Lydia, what does it mean to you to be an author now? Oh, great question to start with. It's really interesting actually because back when I was a student at uni studying speech and language therapy and we did voice modules and I thought, oh, do you know what? I think this is my thing. And I read books by, you know, like Christina Shewell's um, voice work book. And I thought, maybe I'll write a book about voice one day. Um, and and now that I've done it, it just feels very like what I was always destined for. So although that's that, I'm not sure I like how that comes out. But yeah, um, it feels great. If I feel so proud and I feel really proud to have done it with Stephen. Um I wouldn't have done this on my own um, and this this whole book it's the whole process has been a collaboration between Stephen myself and Stuart and with our reader as well you know we started writing this book with our reader at the heart of the process even though there weren't any readers yet 
Um, and I and I hope that really comes across. So it doesn't feel like my book. It feels very much like a book for all of us. Hmm. And of course, Stephen, you've put your R now. You're Stephen R. King, the author. Was that on purpose so people didn't accidentally order The Shining? <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing, right? When I was growing up, you know, everybody thought they were really funny saying, oh, Stephen King, like the author. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I haven't heard that. I don't, I don't know why I'm speaking like that. I'd be like, oh, I haven't heard that before. My mum, my mum's name, Julie Parsons, is an Australian author. Um, and so there's this weird kind of like lineage of authorship names. And when um, we put in for publish our first research paper, myself and Lydia Flock, I had this real thing of like, I really don't want people to think that Stephen King, the horror writer, is talking about manual therapy for reflux. <laughs> I don't know why, but that thought really consumed me. <laughs> so that's where the R came in. Yeah, so, I can completely relate to you because now I'm a robot um, in most people's homes. So oh. I'm thinking I've, I've got to change the name at some point. Uh, Lydia, the book is dedicated mm. to everyone without mm. a voice. At the end of the book, when I was reading it myself, I felt that there was a really good chance for people who were experiencing a voice problem or who had started using their voice in a new way, mm. that they could really feel a shift in this self-blame that comes mm. along with having a voice issue. Mm -hmm. What was really important for you and your team when you were writing this book and what did you need to keep at the heart of it? Mm. Yeah, so alluding to what I said earlier, we we wrote this book for the reader. And I think that's what's different about this book. It, we didn't want to write another book about voice. We wanted to write the, all the things that had never been written for all the people out there who are experiencing a voice problem, where actually you just have lots of questions and question marks and you meet lots of barriers in that journey and through the NHS and through our work at Voice Care Centre, you know, we, we see countless people who land on our doorstep after a very long process of trying to get help and being met with, you know, lack of sympathy or lack of understanding right the way through from first time you go to your GP, something's not right with my voice. Oh, maybe it's reflux. Here's a PPI. Go off and take that you know that's that happens to probably most people that have a voice problem or oh it's laryngitis you need to rest your voice for two weeks or oh it's a it's an infection here's some antibiotics you know that is usually the first line of sort of treatment that's given um and then that doesn't work so they're referred to an ENT and so go to the ENT with a lot of hope that oh I'm going to get the answers I need today and maybe they do but again quite often they don't particularly if they're a professional voice user or a singer because they're not seeing um, a doctor that has enough understanding or sympathy for somebody that's a professional voice user so they may well be leaving that appointment you know we wrote that into the book feeling like oh you know is this all in my head then because my larynx looks normal and then maybe they're referred to a speech therapist hopefully they are sometimes they're not and then maybe when they land at the door of the speech therapist or if they 
end up going you know down the independent route and looking for for something outside of the NHS which is how a lot of people come to us at Boys Care Centre um, or you know finding a, a vocal rehab coach or anything like that then that's maybe when you start to get you know the pieces of the puzzle being put together and sometimes that's three months six months sometimes that's over a year for people and so we really felt that there was this huge opportunity to help empower people from day one help I've got a voice problem okay here here's all everything that we want you to know to help guide you and empower you on this journey so that you don't feel like you're sort of lost at sea and not just here's everything we feel you need to know Mm. but here's everything that people have come to us at the voice care center Mm -hmm. asking us yeah and like that evidence as experience Mm -hmm. if you see what I mean Mm. really sitting across from people and and seeing the fear that they may never be able to do xyz again and I think that is not talked about enough Mm -hmm. you know sure the mechanical issue in its box there yes and then what does that do to you how how is that for you and then what are you bringing in? Because although you're bringing that voice issue in its box to the voice care center or wherever, you're also bringing the, the relational affect of it. Mm-hmm. And it might just be, you know, I, I can't, I, I feel like I now don't have a voice in my house. Mm. Well, although that has got something to do with the mechanical bit, what we're actually talking about is almost a whole other separate entity mm. in this the the spirit of oneself mm. and and so coming into that with with the book one of the things that i was really clear on is that i i felt like we needed to answer those questions before they they had the chance to become those questions yeah like go hey look this might happen to you this probably will and don't be surprised if it does and there's help yeah yeah trying to preempt the journey based on all the experience that we have working with people who sit in front of us asking those questions coming across these challenges we wanted to try and condense it all and and put it down in in a form that was applicable to everyone and and of course there's a lot that can't be contained in a book like this because it's always about the individual and and we couldn't speak to that in the book but um i think we hopefully captured um, the, the the heart of that message. Mm. And there's a big focus on the biopsychosocial model, as you've explained there. And Stephen, we spoke about this on an episode a while ago. So how has that carried forward? Have you seen any developments in that or things that have changed your mind? I've never heard of it. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you invented um, it, Stephen. <laughs> so when I when I discovered biopsychosocial philosophy or, or, or practice as a as its own kind of ontology, its own way of being in the world, I thought, why is nobody? Am I? I stumbled across a secret. Like that's kind of how it felt to me. And then I knew that I started having conversations with people and lots of people much smarter than I am, <clears throat> and they all seemed to know about it. And I was like, so what? So hold on, what? What, what, what are you not seeing that I'm seeing here? And I think when framing the journey of voice through a biopsychosocial perspective, 
all of those questions become clearer because it stops a self-limiting thing of a biomechanical issue that is going to be fixed with uh, mechanical exercises or input. Like the idea that, you know, the body is a machine. Well, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's something that I'm thinking about at the moment. This isn't in the book. This is just me wanging off on some philosophy here. <laughs> Haven't we got very good at defining the body as a machine rather than the body as a human being? Mm. And that really sits with me quite heavily now, because if I fundamentally believe my position in the universe is that I am a machine that can go wrong and must be fixed rather than a human being who is existing and learning, I'm always setting myself up for failure. Mm. Because in the healing process, we learn about ourselves. And my position on this is that if we don't do the learning, i.e. if we're using an external locus of control, surgery or a pill or something that, that feels disintegrated, the learning isn't allowed to take place. I don't know if that was cogent at all, but a, a kind of my thread is basically biopsychosocial practice. I don't think it's talked about enough. And the book is subtitled a biopsychosocial approach because I really wanted people to start going, what, what, what's that? What's that? You mean it's not just all about my larynx? End of small philosophical rant, full stop. I went to a deep place there. Lots of people might dream of writing a book. Can you explain a little bit, Lydia, the process that you went through from mm. the first idea to the day you held it in your hands? Ooh, ooh, that's, it feels like such a special journey. I mean, Stephen, it was about a year ago, wasn't it, that we sat down together um, in Devon and wrote the bulk of the text. And we'd had the idea, I think a couple months prior, and it, it was just taking shape as an idea for us. Initially, we both had sort of a separate idea for a book and we came together. Well, and can I just add in here? Mm. We had been looking for the resource to give the mm. patients at the voice care centre and kept coming up against stuff that was too wordy, yeah. too complicated, or not evidence-based. Mm. And so I, I think my recollection of it is that that was the seed of it all, yeah. going, maybe we... Maybe this is us. Maybe we we need to do this. Maybe we can write this. Back yeah. over to you. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and for me, it really came from a place of having learnt, learnt from my patients and clients over several years now, sitting down in front of people, struggling with a voice or upper airway problem, listening to their stories and then helping and guiding them and sort of ev every com almost every conversation that I'd ever had with someone about their voice problem was sort of just getting banked in the back of my mind um, and this sense of we have something here that that we can share with other people as that preemptive thing um so we had these ideas building and we decided to just have a day together sitting down I mean as as you've seen it's not it's not a long book so the text that's in there it's not like it's a you know 40,000 plus words or whatever an average book is even more than that 
um, the text that's in there is is brief but very considered and we spent a lot of time the the bulk of the first part of the process was what are our ideas what do we want to get in there and then refining that um, refining the language refining the structure but we initially just had a table of text and then it was okay Stuart over to you right and and, and Stuart who did the illustrations who I have worked with for years he did all of the voice care center branding he's he's such a legend um i basically reached out to him was like i've got this idea for a book and it's only going to work if you do the thing the the illustrations are you on board and he was like well i get i guess so yeah probably mm. send me what you've got mm. and i don't know if you remember lydia when we got back that first illustrated draft that's nothing like what the book is actually now, mm. but it was like the ideas of it, the first seven or so pages. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. this, this is going to work. This mm. is the thing. This is yeah. because although there are not 40,000 words in the book, there are 40 different fully illustrated pages, mm. which all equal a thousand words. Yes. Definitely. So there's, there's something really uh, that's a particularly beautiful double page spread, which <laughs> when people, um, yeah, you, well, get the book, you'll see it. But <laughs> just seeing the ideas in picture form mm. somehow feels more appropriate than written form to me. I, d mm. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's totally my bias. Um, and of course, I'm going to say that, I, you know, it's my book. <laughs> <laughs> and what we, in that table, it was like, you know, blah, 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 words, couple of sentences, really. And in the box next to it, that was like, what the picture is going to be, paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> like, here's what we want. And here's where I think it, and it should be orientated like this. And this is the kind of vibe we're going for. Da, 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 da. And then we get a picture back and it's like, yes, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly it mm. and the longest part of the process for us was the back and forth with Stuart which we all did and I think this is also a testament to what can be done remotely as well because we did all of this remotely and um, Stephen and I had one day together in person forming ideas but the rest of this was all done remotely over email and um, going back and forth with Stuart this is our initial text these are the images he produced this is what we love about it this is what's not quite right can you tweak this and that process was you know six plus months of back and forth back and forth um, and then it's like the final stages were like the final refinement of the whole document and then we got our first printed copies and that was a big moment and even then it was like okay there's a couple of things that in print aren't working so then there was the final refining and then we were sort of then we were ready with the book you see in front of you but it was a real it was a real process and and as I said at the beginning it it's it's nothing it's nothing without our collaboration and the combination of our minds and hearts and ideas that have made this it's you know we are three equal Stuart is more important I think than actually <laughs> Stephen and I when it comes to the finished product I would agree and Stuart's hair is also more important Stuart's hair is, is best amazing. I mean you get a little sneak of it in the <laughs> in his in his cartoon at the front <laughs> yes and he sounds like my type of guy because he says he's passionate about tea and biscuits tea and biscuits exactly He's which actually brings me on to one question which I find is really important because behind every great book is usually a great snack that went along with it. <laughs> when I was writing my dissertation, mine was chocolate fingers. So what was yours? 
what did we have, Stephen, when we sat down together? We well, had tea. You made us some special tea. Yeah, so we sat down at my Tudor table, which is from the 1500s. It's beautiful. Nice. And we both got the sense of like, I wonder if a book has ever been written over this table in like the 600 years or 500 years that it's been around. Like, I wonder if a book has been written over it. Um, so that that's the my kind of over overarching memory of that day. And yes, uh, a Japanese loose leaf tea. Um, I'm slightly disappointed, I must say. Where are the biscuits and the crisps? I think you know? there were some chocolate bars thrown around at some point. I have a memory of that. Yeah. Yeah. And you two are very much the guides through the book in terms of the cartoons. Um, it's very yeah. cartoon-like, like vintage cartoons that Stuart has created in my feel. What was it like first seeing you as a cartoon-formed being? <laughs> well, my head is enormous uh, <laughs> as the cartoon. And I, I, I've, I've, never, I've never brought it up with Stuart. I just thought, you know what, Stuart, if that's how you see me, I'm taking it as a compliment. <laughs> But I do look like Megamind, I think. <laughs> the, um... That's obviously how he sees you, Megamind. <laughs> Quite. It's that big brain of yours, Stephen. Exactly. Her. Yeah, infinite. Um, we we initial our initial part part of our initial process was actually how much do we want to feature in this book or not? Mm -hmm. And our first ideas were, I think that we weren't really going to feature in it at all because it's not about us. It's about the reader. Well, and being person centred. Yeah. The, the person going through the journey is at the center of their universe. Mm -hmm. However, mm. what we realize in that being person-centered is still a relational thing. You're still in relation to the therapist or, or the guide. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's a very attuned word, guide, in, mm. in this. Because I think that's what we ended up knowing we were. Yeah, and that happened through the process, we didn't start out thinking that we would be featuring through the book kind of as the guides, but it happened organically because actually, as Stephen said, for this book to be a, a person-centered relationship, actually that's the relationship is that we are part of that. And so it was just finding a way to include us in that journey without detracting from the reader being at the heart of it and um so i think our little smiley cartoons all the way through hopefully strike the right tone um so i'm gonna be a bit of a shit stirrer here <laughs> say, Stephen, what do you prefer did you prefer writing an academic journal piece or writing something like this which is maybe a little bit more succinct and with maybe a different audience in mind? It's a very interesting question. And I think my answer is, I am never the sole author. And what I've learned from Lydia in this process is to get my own self out of the way in service to the simplicity of the message. Mm. Just like when I'm writing with Lydia Flock, my research partner, that yes, it's a different audience and it's a totally different feel. And what normally happens is I will send a draft through and then get back something that's infinitely better based on the ideas, but written in a way in which the, the level of communication goes up. 
that's in, and it's something that personally I struggle with is the ability to communicate through text mm. succinctly and um, usefully because my own process is all about not the end goal. Mm. I'm, I'm sitting in the mire of whatever that is, 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 is the process for me. And so, yeah, I guess in answer to your question, I, I'm not an island in this. So my, I think I actually wrote quite a bit for the starting draft, didn't I? Mm-hmm. That, that fir- the first thing and then passed it over to you for a month. That's how I seemed. And just yeah. going, right, now it's your turn. You need to make that yeah. work. Work. Yeah, yeah, sort of. It's all. It was all. It's almost a, been a translation process, um, because of what where I come from and how I work. My 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 style of communication has always been based on the client in front of me, who usually knows nothing about voice. And I think actually that's where my background, working as a an NHS voice therapist and working with non singers, really um, adds to what I do because I'm used to stripping the language and the complexity all the way back so that anyone can understand it rather than sort of going in at that more academic complex level of you know that that you can use when you're working with somebody who really understands the whole world of voice and i think in that you know being an educator of educators it mm. allows me a certain level of understanding mm between my audience and myself. Uh, and normally in, in that headspace, there's a certain assumed level of education that's coming to me. Mm. And so it's like, okay, we can start at seven, right? Yeah. And this book is is starting at zero. It's yeah. assuming you don't even know your voice is made in your throat. Yeah. And what's really lovely is that we've actually spoken to some quite seasoned vocal coaches and and really s- smart people much smarter than us they've found something in it for themselves mm. Mm. which feels really important to me mm. uh, but but that is that is all Lydia <laughs> <laughs> I was the translator of Stephen's level seven plus <laughs> complex ideas i was like okay i hear you Stephen, and that's brilliant but we need to get it down to a zero to Stephen, one aren't you clever now now go go outside and play <laughs> whilst whilst the grown-ups do the editing <laughs> i can imagine lydia there with her dictionary going right and this word is great translation <laughs> We recently spoke to a great vocal coach called bob marks and he brought to my attention the quote art is never complete it's abandoned so i want to know when you stopped editing when was it okay for you to leave it alone and say this is this is finished this is done we've got everything in there we want to have we've achieved it let's just pass it on now being okay with it comes from within no amount of external validation of what it is or was at any stage was going to change the instinct of when it was okay. Mm. There are obviously practical pressures, like we need to get it out there. We need, to, you know, there are dates, there are printing, there's, um, you know, distribute and blah, 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 right? But ultimately, 
I like to think if we had just printed a PDF of the table of the words that we had written, that would have been okay. It would have been good enough. It would have been useful. Mm. And so from that point on, I kind of knew it was gravy. If you see what I mean? Mm. I'm like, we're, we're cooking on gas here. Yeah. Um, I, I do, I do think there was one moment where I realized that it wasn't not that it wasn't good enough, but that there was there was something missing. Mm. But it would have been okay for me to to put it out there. We added in three pages for yeah. the last edit, which was the map um, of the book, mm. and then the uh, dedication page. Mm. So, so there was like a there was that, but but it would have been okay with it. Would have been good yeah. enough without it. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, I think it's because we started the process with a very clear intention of what the book was, and we always stayed true to that. And because the intention was true and authentic, whatever we produced coming from that place was was going to be that. And we did have a little bit of a moment towards the end where it's sort of like, gosh, is this it? Are we really committing these ideas to paper in full knowledge that in you know, years time, maybe we'll look back at some of it and think, actually, we need to rework that. But that was that was also a part of the process. And, you know, we're going to plan a a second edition for next year where we revisit, add in, get feedback from people that have read it and 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 said, I'd love it to include this. So we're allowing this to be something that continues to evolve. Mm. Yeah. Stephen, what do you think on that? Just like us as practitioners, mm. we would have written a very different book pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. you and I. And mm-hmm. I think there's something interesting in us that as we change, the book will change. Yeah. And and I'm fairly confident that the stuff that we have committed to paper has a, an almost universal truth about it. I agree. Yeah, we, we've not made any bold statements, really. No. Um, it, certainly, in my opinion, it seems to be pedestrian advice mm. in a way. Mm. And, and and so to that end, I don't think we're saying, well, you know, the sharp edge of the mucosal wave does this on the pitch of a four forty. We're not saying we're kind of going. Have you thought about your sleep? Mm. <laughs> You thought about getting out in the fresh air. Yeah. That that might help. I don't know. Yeah. I agree with I agree with that. I think because it the book is from that place of universal truth in terms of what does apply to everyone, regardless of because we've not gone into the nitty-gritty. We we made a conscious decision not to, and we we did reference that in a a couple of points in the book. Mm. It feels like it could be a series. We could, you could expand on certain bits. Now that might just be me being selfish, but are there any plans to write another one? I know you've just mentioned another edition, but is there going to be any excursions into other areas of this? I think there's scope for that, Stephen. <laughs> At one point in the editing process, we went, oh shit, this could become a series. <laughs> um, do you remember that? Where yeah. we went, oh, is this part of a bigger thing? Yeah, and, and actually, I'll just speak from the eye. You know, my work now moving 
outside of the field of voice and more into psychotherapy and, and analysis, psychology, that kind of vibe now. I'm, I'm wondering what the book is for that. I think it's help. Mm. Um, and my fantasy of that might be, you know, something like happiness isn't the goal, you know, help. I'm not happy and it's okay. Cause that's not necessarily the goal. Mm. You need fluctuation. That might be the idea or, mm. you know, help, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Different idea from Lydia's perspective. Yeah. And we have talked about ideas, keeping, keeping the book, you know, or keeping the, the series or the theme within the world of voice health. I mean, we've talked about more of a practical interactive version that's maybe got some kind of diary function built in to help people track their own voice symptoms progress goals there's there's sort of there's thoughts there and actually we could do deeper dives into other upper airway things obviously that's clinically where a lot of my experience lies is with upper airway disorders of other kinds which we reference in the book but we then asterisk and say we can't go there in this book so there's potentially scope for that um so yeah I think and I think feedback that we get from people that read the book um you know this isn't this isn't our book this book is everyone's and Mm. so we it will evolve with everyone Mm. hopefully we are a mere days away really from Christmas and this would fit very nicely into Santa's sack I think isn't it just (laughs) so where can people get their copy Stephen where's best for them to go and make their purchase? You know, you'll find the easiest way to get to it um, through the Voice Care Centre website. It's on the front page. So voicecarecentre.co.uk. And it's there. Help, I've got a voice problem. Back on the link. Bish, bash, bash. Mm-hmm. Great. And Lydia, remind us of where people can get in touch with you and maybe give you their feedback if they've read the book. Yes, so we... Um... Would love to hear from people. Uh, reviews on Amazon. The book is available on Amazon, um, and leaving a, a, an Amazon review would be really helpful, even if you've just purchased just purchased it through the Voice Care Centre website. Um, and then we're always happy to hear from people via email. We're Lydia at VoiceCareCentre.co.uk and Stephen at VoiceCareCentre.co.uk. And actually, um, there's a, a inquiry form on the publication website as well. So when you follow the links through to purchase it from New Voice Publishing, there's also an inquiry form there which routes through to us so we're very contactable and social media as well of course brilliant well congratulations once again what a lovely achievement for you both and uh thank Thank you you. so much for joining me to talk about it thanks alexa thank you alexa always great to speak to you see you soon bye If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple Podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click Write a Review.